Mistakes were made everywhere. A lot of things didn't go well. It wasn't just one thing. A system that was supposed to streamline the process of registering and licensing vehicles has caused more headaches and cost much more money than anyone could have imagined. Now a new legislative audit places blame for the botched Minlar's rollout on several former agency leaders. Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. The faulty Minlar's project again in a harsh spotlight at the state capitol. This 86-page document goes into great detail about the history of failures with that project. The legislative auditor made it clear that no one person or one decision caused the mess, but there was clearly a lack of leadership. A lot of things didn't go well. It wasn't just one thing, it was a lot of things. Legislative auditors didn't hold back criticism of two state agencies overseeing development and implementation of MINLARS. This was, as Ms. Randall said, a shared project between a state agency with business needs, the Department of Public Safety, and an agency with technical expertise, MINIT. Both of these agencies share the blame. Yep, so unfortunately, the, the Minlar system that we process tabs is, is not working right now. Thousands of Minnesotans experienced frustration trying to renew license tabs or get driver's licenses. The auditor's report finds that the Minlar's failure was due to many factors rather than a single person or a single decision. It says more than $100 million in nine years should have been sufficient. According to the report, agency leadership did not take steps to ensure this large and risky project would succeed. There was, in my mind, a complete failure. Republican Senator Scott Newman says the blame should go all the way to the top with former Governor Mark Dayton. In my mind, it always comes back to leadership. And there was a complete and utter lack of leadership when it came to this Minlar's project. And that started with the governor and goes right down the pipeline from there. You don't go forward with the product until it's ready, especially when it's complex and affects as many people as this one does. DFL House Majority Leader Ryan Winkler agrees Dayton deserves some blame, but not all of it. No governor uh, has the same skill set as, as another governor, so managing IT was probably not something Mark Dayton had spent a lot of time doing. I think uh, Tim Walls has a bit more experience in that area. The audit report also indicates the state likely lost millions in revenue due to the failures, but there's no way to document exactly how much. The new commissioner of DPS says he and the acting commissioner of Minute communicate daily about fixing Minlars. There's not a day that goes by that I am not in conversation with staff, uh, with my partners at Minute, uh, to analyze how can we do this better. Governor Walz has already asked for another $16 million to continue working on the Minlar system, and that is only for the remainder of the fiscal year ending in June. A series of tweets by Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar caused a national firestorm this week, colleagues on both sides of the aisle calling them anti-Semitic. President Trump said she should resign. Omar apologized for the tweets, but as Jay Coles reports, she's still facing scrutiny from local leaders in the Jewish community. It started with journalist Glenn Greenwald defending Congresswoman Omar's right to publicly criticize Israel and U.S. support of Israel. Omar responded with a tweet that says, quote, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, referring to money equaling political support for Israel. When another journalist in a tweet asked Omar to explain who she thought was buying American politician support of Israel, Omar tweeted, IPAC. That's the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee. Do not indulge in circulating 
anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic tropes and notes. Okay. In 2012, Omar also sent out this tweet, quote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. The Minneapolis Jewish Community Relations Council tells me Omar's tweets perpetuate Jewish stereotypes that are centuries old, implying Jews rule all the money and therefore the world. The same mistake has been made not once, not twice, maybe even more times with respect to circulating, tweeting, repeating ugly anti-Semitic tropes. Congresswoman Omar issued this apology Monday that says in part, quote, anti-Semitism is real and I am grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. This is why I unequivocally apologize. Apology accepted? I think the issue is going forward. Actions will speak louder than words. Jay Coles, 5 Eyewitness News. Minnesota's 5th Congressional District has the highest percentage of Jewish voters in Minnesota and more synagogues than any other congressional district in the state. Those leaders say they want to work with Congresswoman Omar in the future and hope to seek common ground. President Trump also weighed in on Twitter calling Congresswoman Omar's apology, quote, lame and saying she should resign. Omar shot back saying the president has, quote, trafficked in hate his whole life and asking when he'll learn from his own mistakes. Governor Walls is set to deliver his budget proposal to the legislature later this week. He and leaders have reached an agreement to end the session on time while working to avoid major controversy. In recent years, legislative sessions have ended in lawsuits and special sessions with key bills not being signed into law. Now they plan to involve more lawmakers in the decision-making process and make the budget process more transparent to the public. The agreement that we are announcing today puts us on a pathway to have more of the budget conversations in public and puts us on a pathway to end the session on time. Minnesota seems to like divided government and we have divided government again, uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to be divided on everything. Governor Walls says his office will do whatever it can to help make the budget negotiations go as smoothly as possible. Republicans now officially have 35 seats in the Minnesota Senate, giving them some breathing room on close votes. So help me God. Congratulations. Former State Representative Jason Rarick was sworn in Thursday by Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. Rarick won the seat in Senate District 11 in northern Minnesota that had been held by Democrats for several decades. He plans to work hard to win the seat again in 2020. I uh, plan on being up in Carleton County uh, for the next two years uh, to show the people who trusted me with their vote that uh, they made the right choice and that I'll do a good job for them. Governor Walls has called for a special election to take place on March 19th in Rarick's former House District in the Pine City area. Governor Walls is appealing the approval of the Enbridge replacement pipeline in northern Minnesota. Former Governor Mark Dayton tried last year, but his appeal was thrown out on a technicality. The Minnesota Public Utilities Commission gave conditional approval to the new pipeline last summer, saying the existing pipeline across northern Minnesota is corroding, but environmental protesters say the new project threatens water along the route if there's a leak. In a statement, Walls said, when it comes to any project that impacts our environment and our economy, we must follow the process, the law, and the science. Well, frankly, we did on all of those things. We followed the law. The science is, is, is sure 
that this would be environmentally much safer to, to replace a 51-year-old pipe with a new pipe. The International Union of Operating Engineers, which has supported Walls, says it strongly disagrees with his decision to continue the appeal and say, say that it could cost the state thousands of jobs. The next step is for the PUC to schedule a hearing on that appeal. A bill that would limit the controversial practice of so-called conversion therapy in children is moving forward in the House. Under the bill, Minnesota would join 15 other states that ban treatments claiming to be able to change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. Those who consider themselves survivors of such therapy testified Thursday at a House committee hearing. One said he went through a form of hypnosis where therapists tried to block parts of his memory. I was told I was a threat and dangerous to other people and that I lived a sin that I had the power to change. But the bill faces opposition, including from people who say they successfully went through counseling. In choosing to live now as a heterosexual man, I in no way feel repressed. This was the first hearing for this bill in the Democratic-controlled House, where it stands a better chance of passage than in the Republican-controlled Senate. Up next, Ember Rice got young and Annette Meeks will join me for political analysis. And Amy Klobuchar is now one week into her campaign for president. We'll look at how running for the nation's highest office might impact her duties in the U.S. Senate. And I promise you this, as your president, I will look you in the eye. I will tell you what I think. I will focus on getting things done. It was one week ago today that Senator Amy Klobuchar stood in a Minnesota snowstorm to officially launch her presidential campaign. Thousands of supporters came out to Boom Island to see her speech. Klobuchar spent this past week making the national rounds, introducing herself to voters around the country. On Good Morning America, she addressed the allegations of creating a hostile work environment in her office, including mistreatment of staffers. I am tough. I push people. That is true. But my point is, is that I have high expectations for myself. I have high expectations for the people that work for me. And I have high expectations for this country. And of course, some critics argue that Klobuchar won't be able to fulfill her duties as a U.S. senator and represent the issues important to Minnesotans on Capitol Hill while she's running for president. Joe Mazin gives us an in-depth look at the demands of a presidential campaign and its impact on a member of Congress. All right, what can I put in there for you? From behind the counter at Glamdahl Donuts in northeast Minneapolis. Okay. Sarah Abbott doesn't recognize all her customers, but one has a very familiar face. Amy Klobuchar comes through. Hello, everyone! Senator Amy Klobuchar lives near the store. We're always glad to see her in. She's great. Uh, you know, she tips well. <laughs> but Klobuchar won't likely be here as often. I will focus on getting things done. Her presidential campaign will take up time, raising money and impact her job as a senator. She's going to have to find a way to balance serving in the U.S. Senate and running for president. Political analyst Brian McClung was a consultant on former Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty's campaign for president in 2012. 
When there are important votes, I think there's no question that Senator Klobuchar or any senator is going to find a way to make it to Washington, D.C. and be there to be part of it. But during the last presidential election, we found the three most prominent senators who ran missed many votes while on the Senate floor while out campaigning, including Bernie Sanders, who missed 67 percent of all votes over a nine-month period. History isn't exactly on Amy Klobuchar's side. Sixteen senators have become president, but only three have gone directly from the Senate to the White House, Warren Harding, John F. Kennedy, and Barack Obama. Back here at her local donut shop. Everything that she stands for here, um, I think it would do a lot of good for the country. Klobuchar has a lot of sweet support. In Minneapolis, Joe Mason, 5 Eyewitness News. In the first few days of her campaign, Klobuchar raised more than $1 million in online donations. She visited Eau Claire, Wisconsin and Mason City, Iowa this weekend. And on Thursday, she will speak at the Iowa Democrat Winter Banquet just north of Des Moines. We'll be there and continue to follow Senator Klobuchar on the campaign trail. Watch for continuing coverage on air and online at KSTP.com. So now I guess she needs to sweet talk the voters. You see how I, what I did there? With, uh, you like that donut with, shop. With You've the donuts, I'm right, right yeah, across okay. the river from it. Uh, Annette Meeks and Ember Scott Young, thank you both uh, for being here. We got a lot to talk about. Let's start by talking about Senator Klobuchar's uh, campaign. She's not wasting any time getting out there on the campaign trail. Again, she's going to be in Wisconsin and Iowa. And then also later tonight, she's going to be on a cable news show doing a town hall from New Hampshire, another early important state. I think it's very exciting to, to see uh, so many Democrats lining up so early uh, because it's going to make an interesting contest and frankly force people to fo focus on the 2020 race a little earlier than they might have. Uh, but more importantly, I think the DNC announced uh, earlier this past week uh, criteria and it sounds like Amy will make it into their debates early on and I think that's good for her and it's going to be good for the nation. And for the most part her rollout has gone pretty smoothly other than all the national stories about how she's uh, allegedly mistreated uh, staff members but aside from that she's gotten some pretty good uh, press out of this. She has. She has had a great rollout all the way from that snowy snowstorm that showed the grit that's part of her campaign that was really good um, all the way to raising a million dollars in just a couple of days I think she is going to be someone to contend with um, she's got to move now from the second tier I think into the first tier that's why she needs to do that and frankly all candidates that have run for office before have had to miss a few votes. That's part of the process, but that's also part of how they learn how to be a better candidate. Yeah, and let's not forget on the Republican side, John McCain, when he was the nominee in 2008, missed a lot of votes as a senator for uh, Arizona. Uh, fundraising is going to be a big part of her responsibility now, uh, in addition to serving in the Senate and running for office. And that's where she's going to need to do some work because there's a lot of better known names in the race. Well, and there are, and there are a lot of people out there staking out the far left and, and maybe screaming a little louder than Senator Klobuchar does. That tends to attract early dollars and especially early small dollar donors. Uh, her biggest problem is she's from a small state that doesn't have a history of financing uh, big campaigns like this. Um, those tend to come from New York and, and other states, Texas for in our case. So it's a little tougher for her to get those big dollars. But maybe she'll thrive in the underdog role. Well, you know, she is a great general election candidate as a moderate. She is going to have a challenge getting through the Democratic primaries, but 
do not underestimate Amy Klobuchar. She knows what she's doing. All right. Well, we'll be out there in Iowa this week, and we'll have more on her uh, speech there uh, coming up on next week's show. Now, of course, this report got a lot of attention at the state capitol. Uh, the Minlars report, uh, it, it's obviously, as we've documented here over the past year and a half, it is a mess. Let's take a look at some video of, uh, just give you an idea of what a mess it is. Governor Walls goes down to Faribault to show how they're finally able to transfer vanity plates from one car to another, and he was down there with a with a registrar, and wouldn't you know, there was a little glitch. <laughs> While they were trying to do this, they were unable to make it uh, happen in one transaction. They had to do a couple of transactions. Just a, a microcosm of what is going on with this, and they want millions more. Your thoughts on that? Well, good luck on that. You know, uh, we don't even have a commissioner yet to handle this, and, and good luck to Governor Waltz trying to get somebody to take over this mess. This, You know, Governor Dayton owns this, and he really should come forward and say, I am the $100 million man. We invested a heck of a lot of tax dollars into a system that still doesn't work. Let's get it fixed. And, and Ember, there is no commissioner of minute right now, which could hamstring them in trying to get this system fixed. No permanent person in that. And there's another Menlars audit that's going to come out that is going to try to follow the money. Where did this $100 million go? How important are those two things? Well, they're all important, but let's look at this and step back for a moment. Uh, there were a number, there's blame to go around everywhere. The preparation for this was not done during the Palenti administration to figure out what is the problem that needs to be solved. Certainly, Governor Dayton's administration did not monitor and did not hold them accountable. Now we have to put in more dollars if we do that and hold them accountable to benchmarks and make sure that they are following that. And that, I think, is what Governor Walsh is going to do. All right. Well, it's going to be a fascinating process to watch because there's a lot more money to come, I think, to get this thing where they want it to be. Annette Nember, thank you for being here. Up next, Mike Erlinson and Andy Brem will be here for Face Off. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back. Time now for Face Off. Joining me, former DFL party chair Mike Erlinson and Andy Brem, a longtime uh, Republican uh, observer and used to work for Senator Coleman. So you've both been through uh, what goes on in Congress from the Senate perspective and from the House perspective. Have you seen anything, at least from a Minnesota perspective, quite like the Ilhan Omar situation this week with uh, the tweets that many consider anti-Semitic? And where does she go from here? Well, first of all, you know, even in her comment uh, back to Donald Trump, who tweeted about this, you know, there's no place for hate in politics or out of politics, for that matter. Rather, whether that's a group of individuals, uh, Jewish Americans in this particular situation, uh, or anybody else, um, Muslims, uh, men, women, anything that makes us different from each other. And so she's got a little bit to learn here. I, I don't think that, I mean, she's very smart. Um, and maybe she's tactically going about this um, with a lot of reasons behind um, what she's saying. Um, and so I think one has to be careful in this particular situation. You know, for 20 years I worked out there for somebody who got criticized, Congressman Sable, for not talking enough, right? I would call him a difference maker, somebody who rolled up his sleeves, learned the legislative process, built the relationships necessary to actually pass legislation to get the job done. And that's where she may run into some trouble. If she burns too many bridges early on, it's really hard to make those up. And she seems to have been burning some, some bridges. I, I saw a video clip from a, a CNN reporter trying to interview her, and she finally just looked at him and said, what's wrong with you? Almost like you know he wasn't even allowed to ask these questions. Uh, your thoughts about how she has handled this? 
Oh, she's handling herself extremely poorly. I mean, she's showing herself to be someone that doesn't do her homework. Uh, and she's showing herself to be someone that has a real anti-Semitic problem. And this has been the case even before she was elected. I mean, she has been tweeting these hateful, uh, disturbing things for a long time. Those of us that tried to raise that, the attention on that before she was elected. So, you know, we root when people win. You hope they're going to do well. But having been only in office for almost a month, I give her an F. Uh, just 10 seconds on this topic uh, for each of you. Uh, this is unlikely to change anything about her uh, serving in office or even winning re-election in that district. It is so heavily Democratic that she almost can't lose. Well, I suppose somebody could lose. Um, but at the moment, I don't think it will change that in the 5th Congressional District. Um, again, I think that what is the challenge is to be a difference maker, not just a newsmaker. Uh, that's been the challenge for our president as well. Well, I never say never. I've got a lot of Democratic friends that live in that district, and they are looking at options. I, Margaret Kelleher, unfortunately, already has a job, but she would have made a great congresswoman from that area. So hopefully someone else will step forward and represent the state in that district with decency. Uh, let's take a look ahead to Tuesday when Governor Walls is going to release his budget. Uh, always a controversial time because it comes from, uh, in this case, the Democratic perspective. If it's a Republican governor, it's from the Republican uh, perspective. Uh, they're talking this week about how they're going to meet all these deadlines and they're going to work cooperatively. Is that likely all to change once they see the numbers? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the numbers that will change it. It's just that legislative bodies have a tough time meeting deadlines. And so, uh, you know, and that's ultimately not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you get a good budget put forward and you have an honest debate in the legislature uh, and you move forward. I mean, I'm... I'm sure that Congre I mean, uh, Congresswoman, if you forget already, Governor yeah. Waltz is uh, happy to be able to present a budget when there is a surplus. Uh, one can debate how large that is, um, but it's a good time to be the governor, I think, and present a budget to be debated. Yeah, and it's, we're going to get the budget, and then like eight days later we get a new <laughs> revenue forecast, so then we'll have to get a new budget. But uh, what do you, this is when we're going to find out what his priorities are and how much they're different from Republicans. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I'm an optimistic guy. I, I, I wish the governor well. I hope that we can have a more orderly process. I think that's what the citizens of the state want. Also, my wife works in the legislature, so the less last-minute all-night sessions, the better for me. Yeah. <laughs> for all you want her home, right? Not at 5 in the morning. All right, Andy and Mike, thanks for being here. Up next, a snowman that towers above all the others. We'll show you the massive creation when we come back. A buffalo man made good use of all the recent snow, at least someone did, to build a snowman that towers above all the rest. This giant snowman is standing about 20 feet tall in the front yard of Eric Phoebe's home. It took him two days to make this snowman using construction equipment, a snowblower, and some good old-fashioned creativity. When I was doing it, I'm like, I don't know why I do this, but then after it's done, when people drive by and, you know, give me the thumbs up or ask if they can get their picture taken by it, it makes it worth it. And he plans to go bigger next year. He's aiming for a 30-foot tall snowman. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at kstp.com. And that is all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.